Let me say good morning to you all. Good morning. It's good to be worshiping together. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And as always, I'm delighted to be worshiping with you all today. Uh, Let's take a moment now before we turn to God's Word and quiet our hearts. Uh, I'll pray for us here in in a second, but let's gather our scattered senses and ask for God's presence to join us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask for your Holy Spirit to come and be with us. Uh, we're aware that as your word goes out, that it doesn't, it doesn't automatically bear fruit. Um, that Satan's right there and wants to take the seed of the word away. And there's sometimes when your word says things that offend us and that are hard. And we at first receive it joyfully, but we have no root in ourselves. And uh, we want to be rooted. And then there's just the, the distractions of the world. But for the seed of your word to fall on a heart that is receptive, you say that it bears fruit. Fifty, thirty, a hundredfold fruit to eternal life. Help this word bear fruit in our lives this morning. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. We're in a very familiar passage in John chapter 15 this morning. And we've been looking at these commands of Jesus, very central to the life of our church, and we think to the pathway of discipleship. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Christ's invitation to come and see, and then his invitation to ask, seek, knock. Last week, we looked at his command and invitation to turn and trust, and today we look at his command and invitation to abide in me. John 15, beginning in verse 1. The words of Jesus I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, They are thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now to verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, The world hates you. Now to chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And then to verse 33 of chapter 16. I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've preached this passage more than I've preached any other. And each time I come to it, 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 uh, it gives out new riches Jesus' call to abide is multifaceted and rich. Today, I just want to bring out one of the, the specific aspects of one of those facets. To continue to be faithful to Jesus when being faithful to Jesus makes life hard. Remain in me is a way that one can translate abide in me. And certainly that's part of what Jesus is saying. Stick with me when sticking with me is hard. After all, he says, these things I write to you so that you won't fall away. I want you to think about someone you know who seems to have fallen away. It's just this idea that on the road of discipleship, though it is straight and narrow, it is also perilous. And all of us know this. We come to Christ. And we walk upright, we run, we throw our heads back and bask in the warming glory of amazing grace, and then we hit it, the wall, we fall, we fail, we crawl, we scramble, we teeter, we quit, we come back. We cheat, 
We lie. It hurts. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he he imagines the road of discipleship as lined with actual monsters and archers and liars and pitfalls and swamps. We go forward, then we kind of go backward, then we get lost or accosted. We go forward again, we get hurt, we hurt other people. And along the dangerous, perilous, narrow road, there are no walls. You either walk on the road or you don't. There's no off-ramps because one can abandon the path of discipleship at any time. At any point in the journey. And many do. It shouldn't be news to us in terms of number, that's numbers that the church in the West hasn't been doing so well. For some like myself, we think these seasons are inevitable and ultimately lead to a stronger, healthier church. Still, it's shocking, nerve-wracking, and heartbreaking to see so many people deconvert, deconstruct, and fall away. We're living through a moment in which it seems that deconversion is the new conversion. To not believe is to wake up from the long sleep of believing. I think about so many My own friends, Uh, we all used to count ourselves believers, remembering those days when we were huddled, huddled under the concert lighting of youth camps and festivals, high on teenage angst, our brains soupy with hormones, we heard the music, we cried. We raised our hands and worshiped and we said, I accept Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And now, we're 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. And before us is the, the lunacy of suffering and evil and a broken world. We're fed up with the religious hypocrisy The way the scriptures have been tied to political parties. And a we've been and a Bible which with which with we've been clobbered with rather than taught how to read and understand. And now we're having a new teary-eyed emotional conversion moment. From the brittle husk of something that's been given to us as Christianity, but it's really the brittle husk of American civil religion, and we're turning to, well, for some of us, it's agnosticism. The thrill and ambiguity of embracing no answers rather than firm ones. Some go 
full-on atheist. Better to stick it to God than erasing him. But most don't do that. Most drift down the buffet aisles of spirituality light and make their own plates. Small servings of Buddhism, a few slices of Christian mysticism with no crust, some Hindu philosophy as dressing served on a hearty bed of American progressivism. As if a shallow adherence to all of these conflicting worldviews could actually be satisfying in the end. But anyway, you slice it, we're out. Ex-evangelical, deconstructed, post-youth group. Take that, mom and dad. Take that, Pastor Jeff. There's no real Pastor Jeff. I just had to make up a name of somebody. It's it's no affront to your particular Pastor Jeff. (laughs) Nor does my snarky take on our current cultural moment minimize the painful reality of it all. Fact is, if we're honest, we know that we will all come to crisis moments in our faith. And we come to them because... The path of following Jesus isn't always smooth sailing. The dangers are myriad. There's the suffering that we experience that seems incommensurate with a loving God. We look to our right and we see the commands of Jesus that aren't easy, that, that threaten to make us stand out in our culture. We look ahead and if we follow them, we see the persecution Or the shaming that we'll receive if we follow through. And perhaps in the presence, what we feel is the absence of a sense of God. And all of this creates moments of pain, doubt, despair, disillusionment. Moments when the trials on the road become at least we think too much. And so we pause there. And we lift one leg And hover it above the ground just on the edge of the road. And we ask ourselves, what if I give up? What will it feel like off the path? Is it worth it to stay? John 15 was written for us. The extended context is Jesus' upper room discourse. He's preparing his disciples for the shock of the cross and the chaotic fallout of the coming days. What will life will be like for them afterwards when they take on the calling of an apostle? He's preparing them for both the grief of the cross and of his apparent absence and the hardship of life in a world that will hate them. Chapter 14 leading up to this is all about Jesus going away but giving the presence of his spirit to be with his disciples intimately in a new way, one that will require faith. At the end of chapter 15, we hear about 
the apostles entering a world that will hate them and the suffering that they'll have to endure as a result of their discipleship. And in between those two is the call to abide, to remain. And at the end, in chapter 16, is a call not to fall away. In my apparent absence, abide in me by means of the Spirit. When the world hates you, Remain true to me. It will be worth it in the end. And it all ends with chapter 16.33. I have said these things to you so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's like trademark Jesus teaching. This incredible, profound reassurance. But it comes on the heels of a heavy dose of reality. It's going to be bad, but I'm bigger than the bad. I'm better and worth it in the end. Remain in me. The first thing I want us to reflect on is that these words are being spoken by one who knew these truths by experience. In other words, he knew what comes to those who remain in tough times. I want you to think about what it means that Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted to give up, to to disbelieve in God's goodness. And he knows the glory that flows into one's life when they choose to abide and remain in God's will. We see it at the beginning and the end of his earthly ministry. At the beginning, Jesus himself is in the desert, if you remember, and the the devil comes to him and tempts him, tempts him to throw it all away. And we read the word tempted in the story and we think, well, he wasn't really tempted. He doesn't really mean that he was tempted. It does. He was tempted to relinquish his trust in the Father's word. Tempted himself to pervert the scriptures and get them to say something they didn't say. He too was tempted by power. By glory, the world's glory, versus the glory of the cross. Jesus was given multiple attempts to abandon ship, but he chose instead to move deeper and deeper into the heart of knowing God through obedient faithfulness to his word. That's how his ministry began. And it ends with a very similar moment. With Jesus looking towards the cross, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, knowing what obedience to his Father's will will mean for him. It will mean suffering for him. It will mean the cross for him. It will mean death for him. To trust 
the father was to believe that he could bring new life out of death. New life for him. New life that would flow out of him to others. But it's hard to believe. And so he's on his knees saying, Father, is there another way? Take this cup away from me. Multiple times he asks until he prays himself into submission and says, but not my will, but thine be done. And he drinks his cup and he moves to the cross and through the cross to a deeper, greater glory. A glorious kind of life that becomes a source of life for us all. Listen to this verse from uh, this passage from Hebrews chapter 5. I've been meditating on it all week. This is Hebrews 5 verses 7 through 9. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he becomes the source of eternal life for all who obey him. There's a lifetime worth of reflection in that little little text. Let me bring out some goodies. First, you can't you shouldn't feel bad about wrestling deeply with a moment of obedience. You shouldn't feel bad about being tempted to give it all up. We tend to vilify our dark dark nights of the soul thinking that they indicate a kind of spiritual ineptitude. But our Savior went through this. And he fully expects for us to go through the same crucible. It's why he says, all this I have told you, so that you won't fall away. Jesus knew that we might. He'd been there before us. He'd walked the road of faithfulness. He was tempted to do otherwise. And he went deeper into faithfulness to show us how. And more than just showing us how, he becomes a source of life and strength for us. And gives us the secret to connecting to that source when he says, abide in me. I am the vine. The source of eternal life and faithfulness. Remain in me. Remain praying. Remain believing. Stay obeying. Stay put. (laughs) Obedience to Jesus sometimes looks like going out and doing big active things for Jesus. And some days... Obedience 
just looks like not abandoning the way of Jesus just because it feels bad. Sometimes the whole of the spiritual life is just staying in the faith when the faith doesn't make much sense. Staying in the faith when it makes you uncomfortable. A stain that may be painful in the moment, but is worth it in the end. Worth it because it bears fruit. Worth it because the alternative is grim. Yes, abiding can be hard, but think about the alternative. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's a verse that's worthy of your reflection. Notice that there's a painful cutting in both cases. The only difference, both are cut, both have pain. The difference is one bears fruit, the other doesn't. In thinking about that verse, I was brought to a conversation that I had with a young man who was considering divorcing his wife. His parents wanted me to have the conversation with him, and I reluctantly agreed because those kinds of conversations, when a parent says, here's my pastor friend to talk to you about your potential divorce, typically don't go well. But I knew him, and so I thought I would talk to him. Uh, unsurprisingly, he had met another girl, and he just thought he'd be happier with her. He'd only been married a year. And I remember the conversation. And I remember telling him, you've got a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings going on. I get it. But let me ask you a question. If you decide to remain with your wife, what pain will you experience? What pain will be there for you? We talked about what it would be like to break up with this other girl He had really strong feelings. That would be painful. We talked about what it would mean to work it out with his wife and to rebuild trust. That would be painful too. We talked about what it would mean for him to rebuild trust with his wife's parents. That'd be painful. It was going to take a lot of work to keep the marriage going at this point. A lot of pain. And I said, okay, Let's say you divorce your wife and marry this other girl. What pain are you going to experience then? And likewise, we talked about what it would mean to, to break the heart of his wife who he'd only married a year ago and to break that commitment. He'd have to burn a lot of relationships. He'd have to make himself look bad in the eyes of a lot of people that he cared about. There's all kinds of pain, pain going in every direction. And so I said to him, I said, okay, there's pain in either direction. It's not like it's pain versus joy. It's actually pain versus pain. I said, but only 
one of these directions is faithful to Jesus. Only one of these means remaining in His will and His word. One of them is faithful to Christ and one isn't. Both are painful. In some ways, I think Jesus is talking about situations like this in John chapter 15. He says that if you don't abide in me, the branch is cut off. It's not bearing any fruit. He goes on to say that it's cut off and thrown into a fire and burned. That doesn't sound good. That sounds painful. But then he says, remain in me and my Father will prune you. Pruning, well that's painful too. That's cutting. Either way you get cut. Either way is painful. But one cutting leads to exclusion and emptiness. And the other cutting leads to fruitfulness. Pain is a part of the process of life. In this life you will have trouble. Producing fruit is not automatic in the process of life. It is only a part of the process of being in Christ at least the fruit that leads to eternal life. Which is why Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. And so the call is to trust Him when the road seems too narrow, very difficult, and when the road leading away seems broad and easy. Jesus trusted his father that his cross would lead to his life and the life of many. And we are to trust him that the cross he asks us to bear will do the same. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There is a promise there of intimacy. Intimacy that leads to stability and peace. He's saying there's two types of ways of knowing me. You can know me secondhand. You can know me like the knowing in books. Like what you learn in a Sunday school or what you learn from a sermon. And then there's the kind of knowing that comes from actually doing the stuff. Of leaning in. Of testing it. Of proving it with a life. And one life is solid. And the other one quickly falls away. When stuff in our life gets really hard. Hard beyond the trite Christian answers. When that happens and our faith has been superficial, when we have never tested God's word by actually doing it, risking on something that Jesus has told us to do that we didn't want to do, then when we're hit with the wall, when we're hit with life, the only thing left we have to say is, well, where's God? Why is this happening? But to know him, 
to have tested his word, to have found him trustworthy. That's to become a people of grace who say, I don't know why I'm in this dark place again, but I know he's with me. I've actually tasted the honey. I I know the peace that passes understanding. And though I wish he would explain to me why this was happening, I'll put one foot in in front of the other. Father, not my will, but thine be done. It's a kind of heart that comes with bearing the crosses that we've been given. The losses, the griefs, the moments of painful obedience. The more you do that, the more you stay put. The promise is the more you bear fruit. And you prove Jesus to be true. And the more you prove to yourself and to your heavenly father that this stuff in you is real. He says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think about Psalm 66 where he's, it talks about the suffering in the life of his people and it says, Father, you have proved us as silver is proved. The more you find yourself trusting God, even when it's hurt, even when it hurts, the more you find yourself thrust into the love of God. Finding that his promises are sure, his spirit is active, and his love is supreme. Abide in me. Three takeaways. Three different types of people I want to speak to. First, to the young person who has no Christian friends or all of them have fallen away. Application. I want to introduce you to a man I read about this week named Dominique. You've never heard of him before. He's a Catholic priest. He spent most of his life in rural France, shoveling manure, washing dishes, bringing water to villagers on a donkey's back, and mostly preaching the gospel to the poor and the least of these. He apparently spent his last days dying of cancer, at that point working as a watchman at a Parisian factory because that gave him time in the morning when he got off to cross over to the park to hang out with the riffraff and minister to the homeless. When he was found dead on the floor of his apartment, his journal was discovered nearby. And the final entry said this, and I quote, All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my words and witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent for me to worry about that. I only know this. Christ is love. Christ is all. I am his. He is mine. All is well. 
at the end of the journey of faithfulness, there's love, stability, and peace. But this was earned. It is surrender to love on God's terms, not ours. Maybe a jaded, affluent, white, deconstructed millennial might write in their journal. And they might write this. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. If by the love of God you mean what I mean, which is the freedom to interpret said love according to my standards, informed by pervasive and ever-evolving cultural ideologies that align with my social political preferences and social media tribe. And maybe they'd go on to write, if I wanted my life to be useful... It will be useful because I am special and one of a kind. And God could never possibly ask me to do anything that I wouldn't want to do or lay down any identity or desire that I desire. And if he would, he isn't God at all, but an oppressive monster designed by the patriarchy. And I know much better and can do much better. Please like and follow and subscribe. As you evaluate which path you will choose, young people, look at the fruit borne by the life making the choices. Are they selfless, full of stability and peace? Are they self-interested, lonely, angry, cynical? So much self-focus. Look at, look at the fruit of the tree. And then choose which path you follow. Okay, that's the first application point. Second application point. If you've left the path and you're like, oh crap. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be the branch that doesn't bear fruit. I don't want to be thrown away and burnt. Listen, y'all. If you're worried about that. Here's the thing. On the path of discipleship, you just go back one step, turn and trust. Jesus leaves the path all the time, not in disobedience, but to find the lost sheep that's gone away. And so if you feel that in your heart, that is his stirring. That's his call to be born again again. That is your opportunity to turn back to the Father, to turn back through the Son who is always willing to to receive you, turn and trust. And then lastly, to those of us who are just experiencing pain. If someone has told you that you could go through life as a disciple of Jesus and not have pain, they were lying to you. Suffering comes. Suffering comes from being faithful to Jesus, even though we're not often good at being faithful. But our abiding in Christ, because of Jesus' grace and because of his mercy and because of his Holy Spirit, your life will produce fruit. I just want to say to you, you don't know the fruit that God will bring 
into your life because of the pain you're currently suffering. You don't know the fruit that God will bring into your life through the loneliness, through the fear, through the financial downturn, through the psychological depression, through the anxiety, or through the painful moment of obedience. You don't know the fruit that God will bring into your life or into someone's else's life through your remaining in Him. But He assures you, and I assure you, though His word should assure you more than my word, that your life will produce fruit, fruit that will endure to eternal life. Fruit not only for now, but for all eternity. So it's worth it to stay and to abide. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we end where we began, praying for hearts that are willing to receive this word knowing that there's all kinds of reasons why we may want to reject it. Um, but we pray for the, we pray for an abiding heart. One that can stick close to you, knowing that you've done the heavy lifting, that you are a source of eternal life and stability and peace for us now. And in ever-increasing measure as we abide in you. Help us to stay true to you on the path of discipleship. Remain with us. Abide with us. Help us to lead those who have maybe fallen backwards or fallen away back to the fold. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.